Hello everyone, welcome to Intimate Animation, brought to you by the online animation magazine Squiggly.com. This series covers animation that takes on adult themes of love, relationships, and sex. So steal yourself as there's some frank discussion ahead. Well, hello folks. We're back again for episode 5, season 4. Of Intimate Animation, I'm Ben Mitchell, joined as ever by Laura Beth Cowley. Hello, Laura Beth. Hello, you sound so sad. <laughs> yeah, it was like a really sad bingo caller. <laughs> Welcome to St. Mary's Church. My whole family has just died. Everyone's eyes down, legs 11. That was me trying to be chipper and upbeat. Oh, Christ. I guess it's been a while. <laughs> I'm fine. You know, I, 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 I don't feel bad, I don't think. <laughs> I'll try to keep things a little more lively. Um, right, so, what are we talking about today? I don't know. Well, uh, first of all, how are you, Laura? I'm very well. It's been a little while since we checked in with the audience. Uh, last time we talked to Alberto Miego, who then very quickly afterwards won an Oscar. Well done, Alberto. Nice for him. And uh, has since done another episode of Love, Death and Robots which we just watched to see if it was a fit for this podcast, and I would say, nah. Um, but it's another very popular one with the uh, Love, Death, and Robots crowd. So uh, I guess check that out if Love, Death, and Robots is your thing. I think personally I'm more into the kind of film uh, that won him the Oscar, which is uh, The Windshield Wiper, which I think might still be online. Possibly not, but um, uh, at any rate, yes. Kudos. And uh, I'm sure it had everything to do with appearing on our podcast and the buzz generated therein. Or not. Who knows? There might have been other factors. Not a whole bunch has changed. I guess it's the last episode. I've had a slight change to my work situation. I've uh, come to the end of my journey with the Bristol studio that I've been with the last few years. I've been doing various things, but one of them was with a studio called Shy Guys. And that's sort of come to its end. But I was uh, going through various projects that I had worked on over the years with them. And there's one that actually went up quite recently that I thought might be worth a mention. Because it's uh, very much about vaginas. <laughs> there's a campaign video we did uh, for vaginal discharge. It's one of those sort of rare instances where uh, one of the projects I've worked on, which sort of rarely kind of goes into... Uh, love or intimacy or uh, body stuff. But this one actually kind of did, and it's sort of about, I guess, um, feminine Gen hygiene. Genital health. Yeah. But you, did a very, they, your, you and your studio did a very good job, I think, at like representing lots of different people and facets and things within it. In quite like, a short period of time. And it didn't feel crowbarred in. It just felt very how you want films to sort of be coming about in this day and age. Yeah, it felt like a night. I mean, it was a good, of the various sort of projects that we've taken on, it was a pretty nice little gig. Like they had a very clear idea of what they wanted to communicate. And it's just one of those little animations that kind of is designed to kind of spread awareness, A, about not worrying too much about intimate health, but also what you can do and how you can get tested and that sort of thing. Some nice design work in it. And um, yeah, I thought I'd give it a little bit of a shout out. I mean, I don't have like, you know, um, I don't get money from it <laughs> beyond having animated it. Um, but it was just, I felt released a little bit on the quiet. And I think maybe they might give it another push at some point. But for the time being, it's Unity Sexual Health Vaginal Discharge. Check it out if you have, uh, for all of your vaginal discharge queries will be answered. Um, and if you don't have any such queries, just check it out for the animation because it was fun to do. And uh, I very rarely get to talk about stuff that I've actually done on this podcast. I guess the other sort of main thing I did with Chai Guys that I think I have talked about on here is the film Speed. Uh, that may be coming out at some point online this year. So I'll bring that up, I'm sure, <laughs> if I can if I can toot my own and all horn. of the podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Across the whole uh, roster. That wasn't the only thing I did with Shy Guys, but it's probably the most apropos. Anyway, thanks for the good times, Shy Guys. And... Uh, Good luck with your future ventures. That was just a little shout-out I wanted to kick things off with. What else do we have on this episode of Intimate Animation? Um, well, it's Annecy, just around the corner. We are not going to go to Annecy. Uh, squiggly colleagues will be there. But in the meantime, there are a couple of things worth bringing up to people who are going to be going, things to look out for. One of the most notable ones would be our buddy Signe Bauman, 
her film My Love Affair with Marriage is going to be playing at Annecy. It's going to be also premiering in a few days at Tribeca. So depending on where you are, check it out at either place. It's going to be at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And then, yeah, it's at Annecy from June 13th. So that's its European premiere, I guess. It's also playing at Tribeca on the 12th and the 19th. And we'll be playing, uh, I think, throughout Annecy until uh, the 18th. Also, according to its website, it will have its Latin American premiere June 16th in Guadalajara, Mexico. There's more information on the various places that it will be screened at at present and in the future at myloveaffairwithmarriagemovie.com. But if you want to learn more about the project, uh, we did have Signa Bauman on this podcast. We've had her on a couple of the Squiggly podcasts, but she was on Intimate Animation Season 2, Episode 1, and I believe that was around the time she was getting it crowdfunded or possibly just after it had been crowdfunded. Uh, it was pretty early days in the production, but yeah, it's been a while. It's been a few years and we actually got to see how it was going, I guess around the kind of like center, like middle point of production. Cause that was on our honeymoon, which would have been nearly five years ago now. Mm. Crikey. And it had been going yeah, for a good couple of years at that point, but really, really interesting to see her process in person because there's a lot of, uh, you know, it's it's deceptively simple looking because very sort of 2D character work. It's clearly an independent auteur film. But there's a lot of effort that's gone into the production design. And, you know, you've got these actual handcrafted sets that I think her partner is primarily kind of in charge of. But they've had like a whole team of people coming in and helping out with this film. And, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing how it's turned out. Yeah, no, I'm look, really looking forward to it. It's really interesting how they're sort of able to sort of incorporate her 2D style into the collage three-dimensional backgrounds where they're sort of able to sort of replicate that kind of grungy pencil shading that she has mm. into the sets. And so, I mean, I think 2D, 3D hybrid stuff always looks really interesting, but it looks like it's going to be particularly good, like a particularly good mix. Yeah, it's, I mean, you see it a lot with like uh, short films, the NFTS output, you know, often kind of does that sort of mixed media approach, often sort of like overlaying 2D stuff over stop motion. And this is kind of, yeah, more specifically, the character animation is her sort of 2D style that people who have seen Rocks in My Pockets will be familiar with. Her short film work in general is pretty identifiable. She has a very distinct character design approach, you know. Sort of illustrative, very kind of bold and stark. And, and there's, you know, little bits of kind of stop motion that happens with the environments and stuff. And isn't there quite a lot of like musical numbers in it? Yeah. This one is, is really kind of, it, it's always kind of had this sort of musical uh, identity, I guess, from the get go. To remind people, the story is about a character called Zelma, uh, who is, uh, hounded by three singing mythology sirens. And sets out on a 23-year quest for perfect love and lasting marriage. She's unaware, however, that her own biology is a powerful force to be reckoned with. Uh, that's from Signe's description of the film. And uh, there are trailers and clips and stuff online. But yeah, there's a lot that's kind of gone into this film that I think really sort of marks a progression from Rocks in My Pockets. On the surface, you can tell. I mean, this obviously comes from the same place. It's the same artist. It's probably, I expect, the same sort of humor and sensibilities to it. But there is this kind of, yeah, fantasy musical element as well that is definitely new. And there's a kind of full cast roster that, if I remember right, I think Rocks in My Pockets was just narrated by Signet. Whereas this uh, has, you know, um, I mean, there's a full cast list on the website. Quite a few people that I think people might be familiar with. Matthew Modine has been, I think he may have worked with Signet before. He's definitely been in Bill Plimpton films before. A couple of other people I know from stuff like Orange is the New Black and The Blind Guy from Don't Breathe. And a lot of people from like the New York theater scene. But I'm just really happy that it's done. And it's, you know, because she was talking uh, at Annecy last year. And I'm sure we mentioned that at the time. Uh, she did a talk with, was it actually, it was a year before she did a kind of like studio tour talk presentation. And last year she did a, like a panel with a couple of other animators, including Joanna Quinn. And I think she may have presented some stuff the year, the three years ago as well. Like she's been uh, a, a pretty consistent presence at Annecy for the last few years as this film has come together. So it's very fitting and, and really nice to see that, you know, it will be actually getting its European premiere there. So uh, congratulations to Signe. I look forward very much to seeing it myself, as I'm sure do you. 
Me too, me too. <laughs> so yeah, catch My Love Affair with Marriage at either Tribeca or Annecy, where, whichever is closest to you, I guess. Um, I'm sure if neither are close to you, it'll be playing somewhere else very soon. Some other Annecy news that also involves a former guest of Intimate Animation is that uh, Laurie Malapar Traversay's film Magical Caresses, or Caresse Magique, will be playing as part of the Annecy official selection in competition. Uh, I think they're only screening one. It's a series of films. It's five, like, full films, like short films, and it's being represented by a film called Sweet Jesus, one of the other films in the series called Masturbation, A Short History of a Great Taboo, just won the award for Best Educational Film at the Sommet de Cinéma d'Animation in Montreal, which is a great start. It's certainly a good way to uh, kick things off because uh, she's based in Montreal and uh, she uh, will talk about actually uh, the beginning of the film's journey kind of takes place in the Cinémathèque Québécois, which is where the Summits de Cinéma d'Animation is held. So full circle. Eh? Eh? <laughs> it is a series of animated documentaries by Laurie Malapart Travis, a creator of the popular short film Le Clitoris, which is the film she was on our podcast talking about above. Four or five years ago? Yeah. A skillful blend of humor and confession, these four-minute episodes provide a range of female perspectives taking a healthy and uninhibited approach to demystifying masturbation. The film's source material is adapted from intimate accounts published in the Caress Magique book series written and edited by Sarah Gagnon-Pichet and Sarah Hébert, I think is how you pronounce their names. Using the tremendous creative freedom afforded by animation, Malipar Traversay tells these stories from a new angle, crafting a bold and insightful original series about solo sexuality. So to look back to the clitoris for a moment, Le Clitoris, uh, that was a film that really, really took off. It was her uh, graduation film, and uh, it was a sort of mini humorous documentary on, I guess, the kind of cultural history surrounding the clitoris. And how it's sort of been kind of people have kind of um, rediscovered it. Yeah, claimed ownership. Most of them are men, and then also misinterpreted it. And like it's only in the like recent years we've understood how, or like it's become wider known that it's actually this massive organ that goes very far into the body. Yeah, Um, it's not just the little uh, and it's sort of being discredited and criminalized and made to feel bad and. It's a very accessible little film and, you know, it's told very wittily and it sort of lays things out quite, you know, in a very sort of interesting factual way. Of these five new films, one of them actually feels like a, a direct kind of successor. Yeah. Which is the uh, short history of masturbation, which is the one that won the award um, or masturbation is short history of a great taboo. Uh, and that has the very, very similar kind of structural, like it's a look at how, society has kind of perceived the act of masturbation, how it's had eras where it wasn't particularly scandalous as a behavior, and then eras where it absolutely was, eras where it was a kind of medicinal practice that had to be administered, like that was the only way, you know, it it was allowed. Masturbatorium. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's what really sort of demonstrative of a skill that Laurie has. She talks a little bit about the struggle of making, you know, this many films and being able to kind of achieve a similar result with each of them, that balance of humor and factual accounts. Most of the films in this series are based on sort of testimonials, they're people's stories, and they had given testimonials to these books originally, this sort of independent series of books. And rather than kind of like taking them and having actors read them, she kind of sought out the people who submitted the testimonials. Oh, wow. And created sort of documentary. But it is, you know, essentially it is conceptually based on the book series. But yeah, she is our guest for this episode, and she'll be going into uh, all of that. I believe in Annecy it is in the uh, TV series competition, which I guess suggests perhaps that there will be some kind of broadcast future for it. I'm not really sure what the grand plan is with it. We talk a little bit about sort of various options, perhaps as educational content and whatnot, but I'm not entirely sure what will happen beyond the festival circuit. I think it will have a pretty sturdy festival life ahead of it, whether it will just be various films from the series popping up in festivals or if festivals will be playing the whole series. Mm. It reminds me a little bit, going back to Signe, of Signe's series, Teat Beat of Sex. Just thinking that. Her work is just, because it's all quite consistently 
consistent style wise they all play really well together you can completely see a like a lineage to them all i use the clitoris in a lecture i give every year mm-hmm. and it always goes down really well yeah and the students always really like it and now we have a plushy clip which i'm really looking forward we to do. be able <laughs> to like have <laughs> when i uh do that talk well, we also dropped in on, on Laurie near the beginning of this project when she was sort of set up at the old NFB studios. Uh, and I remember she had a plushie there that I think her mother had made. Her mother was actually involved in this series and she, she talks about that a bit. Oh, um, but yeah, I think Laurie has since like learned how to make the plushies herself and will occasionally pop them, uh, online. So she's a good person to follow like on her Instagram and stuff, you know, in case she releases another batch of clitorises. I really want the NFB to have more of a kind of merchandise department because I really want like badges and t-shirts of them on because the character itself is also just very cute. Yeah, it's a very nice design, you know. I mean, it's it's really just, it's a drawing of a clitoris Mm. with a smiley face, but but it's it's very effective. It's it's, it's, It's very appealing. And I can see that they sell out pretty quickly when she does a batch. I like when you know? it has teeth. It's like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really is worth watching the film if you haven't yet. It's done, I think, of all the films we've talked about on this podcast series, I think in terms of, like, views, mm. it's probably the most sort of viral it, a, a it, film like gone. It just hits a lot of, like, trends and just things people like in short animated films. Like, it has a really nice aesthetic that's kind of low vibe in this really appealing way it looks like a lot of design that's out at the moment but it's also got like sort of hits this kind of animation documentary yeah category which people really like but it's also just it's also funny and it's also educational it's also entertaining and there's a lot of like there's a big push on like female health and sexuality and Mm. and the clitoris has become a really big thing as well just in general as like it's really in vogue. It, is, it really it weirdly <laughs> is, like, vaginas and boobs and just, like, you know, like, free the nipple and all that mm. kind of thing. So it just sort of hits a lot of buttons, for one of the better words. <laughs> um, I think that's a, a fairly mm. good choice of words. So, yeah, there's the overview of masturbation episode. Uh, the other episodes are Turquoise Fish, in which a young woman recalls a kooky ritual involving masturbation that she invented as a child. That one's very sweet. Yeah. I think that was the one that she was kind of, because she had definitely started designing that one when we we, we popped in. Uh, Big Bang counts a 23-year-old woman's quest to achieve her first orgasm, and that's also about the phenomenon of vaginismus. Sweet Jesus, uh, what happens when masturbation has its come-to-Jesus moment, a light and humorous approach, examining religion's moral taboos around the female body and desires. And Playhouse about how porn fuels sexual fantasies. That one had some really interesting little insights about, because, you know, from this woman's perspective mm. of, like, what kind of porn did the trick for her. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting how it's kind of, like, it's not very representative of her lived experience. And I that's think kind that's of more common can... in, like, I think men watch porn that they want, they wish they could be involved with. They kind of cast themselves in yeah, their and, head more, and I, yeah. I think that's why they, like lesbian porn is very big with men. For mm. one, it's like it's a party you would f- very much not be welcome in, um, <laughs> but would like very, but much would to very be much like to, to be there. Uh, where women scratching at the window pane. Not obviously not all women, but like in this particular woman's situation, and I would say that this is quite in keeping with a few stories I've heard about people who do watch porn. They tend to go towards things that in absolutely no way would they really want to do this in real life. But well, then that's for sort some, of what yeah, but the kind of the, the taboo moment. or the kind of the fact that this will never happen and they don't want it to. It's in the same way that sometimes women like are turned on by things that are inherently not sexy in any way. Yeah. Like, um, what was it in, like, Big Mouth? was like, a man with no face holding a baby bjorn. <laughs> it's like, the responsibility of a man who's a good father is somehow sexy. Yeah. But he doesn't have a face. It's it, it's not specific. It's nothing to do with them. It's, it's the idea of a bloke who looks after a child. I have to say, whenever I've, like, had conversations about fantasies with people that I've known in the past, women I've known in the past, the not having a face thing is really super common. Mm. Like, it's not like they have, like, a blank face, like in a horror movie or something, but more like... It's ambiguous. The, the face is so irrelevant. Yeah, it's ambiguous, because it's not to do with, like, 
the attractiveness or any individual person, unless it's like a celebrity, I guess. Yeah. But it's more to do with like situations or sensations or personality, I guess, of that thing. Yeah. I think I, possibly more common with cishet men like myself, there's usually like an identity attached a to the person. particularly shapely tomato. <laughs> <laughs> or pear. An extra curvy piece of fruit. Well, I, I think actually it's possibly why there is such a thing as a porn star is that men and pornography and their relationship with it, there are sort of attachments you get to the sort of, it's almost a cult of personality thing. I think maybe it's a kind of literality thing as well. I think men, in the same way that like men gravitate towards porn more regularly, more openly, more obviously, mm. is because you actually need a visual aid where women f often don't. Yeah. Because we can just imagine it. Yeah, I do want, you know, there's that thing about like how some people just don't have a mind's eye. Mm. Like they, 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 I know this was actually something I didn't realize until recently, that people just can't picture things in their head. But I think it's also because if you're a bloke and you're, like, in the midst of it or you're going to, like, try and have an orgasm, maybe it's a bit like that Russell Howard thing. It's like, your brain is literally in your hands. Mm. Like, so the <laughs> idea of having to also, like, think of something is kind of, like, insane. He's like, my, can't, my complete consciousness is currently in my dick. Yeah. So I couldn't possibly imagine something sexy if I wasn't looking at it. Yeah, I could see that for yeah for some people. Interesting. So yeah, anyway, the episode "Sweet Jesus" is the one that's playing at Annecy, and it is playing in TV films and competition free on June thirteenth at ten thirty, and then again on Thursday, the June sixteenth at eleven, and June seventeenth at five. So Laurie will also be at the Annecy Festival, so if you're going there, keep an eye out for her um, and her film. And uh, yeah, hope you all have a good time. We're going to be... In Middlesbrough. <laughs> <laughs> sexy, sexy Middlesbrough. And then York. Extra spice. I think that... Is that going to be during Annecy time pretty or just much, after? Pretty much. We're going to be at the SAS. For, yeah. For, yeah. Well, there might be something sexy happening at SAS. Who knows? I'm happening. Exactly. There you sexy, go. Sexy, sexy, very long-winded discussion of PhD matters. Laurie, I think, will not be in Middlesbrough. I think she's going around Europe for a bit, possibly to other festivals, but I think maybe just for a bit of a holiday after Annecy. But uh, yeah, catch her at Annecy if you're going to be there. Uh, until then, why don't we hear a little bit from Laurie about this project, Caress Magique, or Magical Caresses. When we last spoke, you kind of outlined what your hopes for your next projects would be. And this series definitely seems to have been like the fulfillment of that. Can you tell me like a bit about the genesis of Caress Magique and how the NFB came on board and all of that? So I started that project in fall of 2016. So yeah, it was just right after I finished Le Clitoris. And, uh, and I started by doing a, a writing residency at uh, the Cinematheque in Montreal. And uh, after that, uh, everybody had a mentor in that uh, residency. And my mentor was uh, Tori Cove. And, uh, and I didn't know anything about how to make a professional film and all of that. So I thought I would just use the the time with her to ask like how can i make a, a project like, and her pretty much only experiences with the nfb so she, she talked to me about how to apply there so i applied and uh, met with uh, julie roy who was a producer at the time and it clicked very well she already knew the clitoris and uh, we started working together like that in like 2017 about and uh, and the, the project grow and grow and grow <laughs> and yeah, yeah it, it and the at first it was not uh, a series the idea but the, this idea of a series came pretty quickly but at first I just had those books that are called Caris Magic and I just wanted to use some of some of the stories but I didn't know how I didn't know which one and I liked a few of them and I wanted to, to have like a broad, broad uh, subject or broad uh, like uh, experiences of women. So, uh, 
So I tried to see, can I fit all of those stories into one and just remake one? But more and more, it just felt more natural to just like divide them in different short films. And, uh, and yes, and the, the voice that we hear, the voices that we hear in the, in the shorts are the real voices of the authors of the, the text. And I re I interviewed them based on their text and asked them to, to say some stuff in their words or to go more deeper into some subjects that I like in their text. So it's like documentary in in that sense. Hmm. So the the books then, because I don't think they've been released in England. Can you tell me a bit more about what these books are? Yeah, it, these are very independent uh, right. books from Montreal. At first, it was um, an online website with just stories, anonymous stories of women about masturbation, and uh, it became a book. But it was self-published it's still self-published so it's really small i think they sell they sell on etsy and on some uh, in some like book fairs or so uh i don't and it's really like uh, i don't think it's something that could be very easily translated like uh, it would it would need a big work of like because it's all very raw and very like authentic uh testimonies so and it's written in like French Canadian, uh, very uh, with slang and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah so that's why. Uh, but uh, that's why there's no publish publication in England or elsewhere. So, if I'm understanding right, then, so you you were reading through these and you were kind of picking case studies that would adapt well to animation, and then re-interviewing them, I guess, to kind of make it slightly different then so it's not that they're just reading what's in the book it's it's something more tailored to a film yeah exactly yeah I, like i like i pinpoint like some stuff that i like for example uh one of my shorts is uh uh on a little girl that she um she liked to think about a, a fish when she masturbated when she was young and so i just ask more questions about that. Like, can you tell me more about the fish? What, mm-hmm. what it looked like, uh, what the friends, the other fishes look like. And the, so I could have more details than there is in the story. Um, but for the people who can have access to those books, it's still interesting to compare because there's some stuff I let and I didn't put in my film, but could be interesting if you can read it. But uh, yeah, so that was kind of useful. It's like if I had like a, a raw material and then I could just decide what I wanted to, to use in that. And then I interviewed them and they were, they were very open also to just mm. come at my place, sit on my couch and talk to me about masturbation. And I, it's all people I never knew before. So mm. I was really glad that it worked well like that. Yeah. Did you maintain like contact with any of them? while you were then making it into a film did they have any kind of input or feedback to what you were doing with there yeah all the time we were like when i finished the the animatic stage we showed them uh to make sure that the the sound editing with what we kept of them was good and uh, and they were always satisfied and but i wanted to make sure that they were comfortable with it because it's their voice and there's only one of them that wanted to have her voice uh, modified. So it's really subtle. And I don't, I, I don't think we can even tell. Like, I know because I know her real voice. Right. But the others were fine with uh, just having their first name and, and their real voice, but no last name. Like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, some of the visuals are, you know, they're quite abstract, some play really humorously. Was the visualization process like a fairly easy one for you, or did it present challenges, like finding a way to translate these concepts into animation that sort of flowed together? It was the hardest part. It took really? like took me like two years. Hmm. Uh almost full time of like thinking about ideas and rethinking and because I didn't want to just illustrate what they said exactly. I wanted it to be more 
interesting but at the same time it's not my story so it's i'm not in their head i don't have their visuals so it was kind of hard to 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 analyze that or to process mm. that but uh yeah it was a, it was a hard part it's it's not easy and also it's not easy because i i like to put humor and humor is hard yeah. to do actually <laughs> to have like and i didn't want to have too much humor that uh, that would like make their story less important that than they are or to ridicule what they were saying like uh, so yeah it's it, it was tricky and it's like i had many people to keep in mind what i, yeah. I had them i had the two creators of the books uh, and I, I and i had like national film board of canada and think so yeah it was a lot of filters in a way yeah it was not just me and my drawings uh, at home like yeah was that helpful at all maybe like having sort of other voices perhaps or other sets of eyes to kind of look over what you were coming up with or does that get frustrating at all yeah it's it's tricky sometimes it helps sometimes it's uh it's overwhelming like and also it was my first professional film and first time working with the national film board so and i was young at first <laughs> I, mm. I started at like 25 and at, at first i thought i had to to take for granted every comments i would have because i wasn't sure of myself and but then more and more i started to to see that actually I know what I'm doing and sometimes I don't have to keep in mind all of the comments. Um, and I would keep in mind those that would maybe offend people or make them uncomfortable, but the rest like creative ideas, like at some point I had to also believe in my creative abilities. And the other thing I, I suppose that's worth highlighting is it, it isn't really just one film. It is five films that are their own thing, their own kind of contained entity, I suppose. And that is a kind of first exercise, essentially, that had, that had to have been quite tricky. But no, they really do, like, they, they work really well with each other. I think they kind of work on their own as well as they work as sort of presented simultaneously. Uh, was that element of it always something that you kind of had in mind? Because I imagine it sort of creates more options for it, like distribution-wise. Yeah, I think uh, we had that in mind. We had in mind like the the success of the clitoris online, and we kind of want to keep that. And yeah, naively, I talked. I, I thought that it would be easier to do five shorts than to do like one like 20 or 15 minutes film mm. but uh, no actually yeah like you said it's really like doing five whole films and it's not like a series with the same characters it's all different characters all different world uh, and uh yes yeah, so that make it that made it hard mm. and yeah i think uh, i think my producer was confident that i would achieve it and and yeah, so that's that's. But I'm not sure I would recommend that to someone starting uh, a professional first film. Like it's, it's a lot. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, it was hard. Like it was not an easy production. Like, well, also I imagine it was probably impacted by the pandemic. Did it have to go on hold at any point, or were you able to kind of carry it on? Because I remember you were set up at the NFB, but then the NFB moved, and then you know everything shut down. So yeah, it shut down when we just we just moved when it shut down, mm. and uh, yeah, hopefully it didn't slow down that much. At yeah, it did slow down because it was more um, more yeah, it was easier to work with my animator next to me, mm. uh, but. We were a good team. Like I just had one animator, so the communication was easy. Mm. And because we have worked together physically before pandemic, mm. was not too hard to like communicate. But but yeah, for me it was more like personal changes in my life uh, that made like that made me having to take a break at some point. I was like 
burnout. I had like a burnout. So, but it's like, it, it's the effect of the pandemic, but many other things like, like a lot of people, like I separated from my, my ex and like I moved. And so a lot of changes happened and, and there was a pandemic. So yeah. <laughs> it was a lot. So uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, that's, that's what impacted it. But yeah. And hopefully at near the end of my production, I had the idea to hire my mom on my project uh, because she's an illustrator. Oh. And, uh, and I still had it. I, I had to do the, the backgrounds by hand. And I was like by the end of the production. And I was like thinking that it was too much for me to do that on top of of just doing everything else so uh, so yeah my mom came in and and it was so fun to work with her it was like a a fresh a breathe of fresh air like yeah. and i already have a super great uh, relationship with her but uh, we never worked together but even if we're both artists but uh, that helped me like by the end of the project it was like a warm presence and we yeah. would like have meal together and just have fun and it made like the last bit of the production much easier for me so, so which areas was then she working on she did the the backgrounds they're right. all hand painted mm-hmm. like the rest is done on uh, on tv paint digital mm-hmm. but the backgrounds are uh, like uh, with ink and watercolor so she did all that almost all of them and also she's not shy about sexuality either like <laughs> so she brought very nice ideas uh, even in the ones one of the five shorts that is a bit more uh, a bit more like graphic uh, she was not shy at all so that that was fun that was really fun and working with an animator then because when you made the clitoris were you did you animate it or did you work with an animator then as well no i was alone i did everything okay. yeah because it definitely that these these films do feel like they they kind of come from the same place. How was that relationship? I guess kind of getting that vibe conveyed through the animation with someone who wasn't you. It was a work in progress at first because it was the first time I had someone someone else animating my drawings. But uh, but uh, Kyu Chen, she's she's really good. She's really talented. She's she's also a director herself. So I think that helped also that she had this understanding of, of, and openness that like I'm not technically perfect because I I don't have like a, I don't have a training in doing animation per se like I I'm more like a director so even if it was not perfect at first what I would give her like she would work well with that and more and more we had like our method and. And I would just give her like final drawings, final key poses, and she would animate with that. And she, and I would do a lot of correction at first, but then more and more I had to do less correct. I mostly just had to remove frames usually yeah. because I, I I prefer to have like a more like a fast uh, movement or like not something super smooth. But she yeah. tend to do that, so I just at first was just removing frames, <laughs> and at some point she got like, okay, I don't need to do that many in between. So, so that's how it it, it worked well. Yeah. It did also notice that like episode five, it, it feels a bit separate from the others, and perhaps a bit more like a companion piece to the Clitoris, and that it's more of a kind of general history, I guess, on the subject and. Did that also come from those books or was that more of a kind of concept that you wanted to incorporate into this? Yeah, these, these are not from the books. Uh, right. the, 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 the historical, uh, I don't even remember the name. It's a long, uh, the, in French is what? Histoire de la, uh, History of Masturbation, a short story of a great taboo, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, no, this one, uh, yeah, it's it's it had a lot of work too. But uh, yeah, I wanted to have one that was a bit like the clitoris, but about masturbation. So so I had actually to do research uh, 
in many books and articles and uh, and at the end it's it's my ex who did the 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 work the research work because he's doing a he's like in the academics he's doing like a phd so he's good yeah. with that so uh, uh so we did a, a research and gave me like summaries of of big books that i didn't have time to read myself so uh, and after that i wrote uh, i wrote the narration and uh, so yeah it's it i just wanted to it goes with it because it's uh, the idea of of the series is it's still something educational so i feel that it's good to have like those stories of women but also something more like historical and and uh, and yeah people have I, I i mean i haven't had a lot of comments about everything because i haven't had a lot of screenings but people seem to like that that there's just one that's a bit apart but you they can learn some stuff in it so yeah. I guess on that, then, there's a real potential, you know, there's a kind of educational potential in them. And I know that the NFP have kind of gone down that route with some of their films as educational aids and things like that. Is that something that's on their radar or your radar at all, like implementing these in curriculum? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, I'm looking forward to see how it will go. But yeah, I think it's... uh, and I think it could interest like uh, the 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 schools in general, the, the the because I think they need stuff in their sexual program, uh, which is almost non-existent still in schools. So uh, I don't know how it could work, but that could be that. I, with with NFB behind me, I feel it would be easier to do that than because I had this idea with the clitoris, but I never went through with it, or I never like. I, I didn't have like the access to like government people to just show my film, but a lot of people told me like, "Oh, you should present that in in schools." And so I feel that with Caris uh, Magic, it will be probably possible. Mm. And but we, yeah, we have to see how how we package that, how we like it has to go with the discussion with uh, obviously like not just showing that to to people to young people but yeah that's the idea and that's that's my goal like, and have the the creators of the original book series have they kind of followed along with it and seen how it's turned out yes yes totally and uh one of the two authors uh one of the two creators uh is the one um doing the, the, the voice for a, a Jesus, sweet Jesus. <laughs> so she's really involved and she's not, uh, she's not shy about it because the, like her full name is written and she's, she's okay with that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, and we would like to like, um, because the, the, there, there's two books and the first one is, uh, is sold out. Uh, because it was a small production so we're thinking of doing like a lunch together like when we will launch the films online they would also launch another edition of caris magic so it kind of goes together Mm. but yeah they're they're really happy so far like because it's uh it makes their project live longer too and attract more people like uh, yeah, and I've seen it's already picking up awards, and because uh, it was at summits, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, is that still based at the Cinematheque? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, that's quite nice. Then, if it's sort of the genesis of it was being in residency there, it must be kind of a nice full circle thing. Yes, yes, yes. That I was happy. So we came by the old NFB office a few years ago when you, I think, were more in the sort of visual development stage of it. And you commented that probably by the end of this, because there was quite a long road ahead, you, you might be done for a while with films talking about, like, sexual themes and things like that. Has that turned out to be the case? Are you sort of quite keen to sort of explore different areas? Well, I'm still interested in that, I think. Uh-huh. Uh, but but I, I I don't know yet for our next project, Uh like I said, this project really burned me out. So yeah. I, I'm really like it's empty. My bucket of <laughs> creativity is, is empty. So I need to like just go out and and see stuff and explore yeah. and just live. 
And yeah, but I wouldn't be surprised that I still have something to say about sexuality because it's so broad and it's it still needs to be talked about. And yeah, yeah I, I just don't know yet, <laughs> like which branch. <laughs> But uh, no clitoris. <laughs> <Done already. laughs> the, uh, yeah, I think the nice thing about it is like coming off the end of a film and you can just travel with it for a while or just see how it kind of does out there. And I think maybe just sort of doing festivals as a, not as an active filmmaker necessarily, but as an audience member as well, that can be kind of a nice palate cleanser, I guess, creatively and, and more social. You know. And more social thing. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna travel too in Europe. Like nice. I'm gonna take that opportunity to go to Annecy and just travel and visit friends. So I don't I don't think I will find it's inspiration right away like that, but just like just do other stuff than being uh, at home in front of my computer like yeah. all the time. I think it's gonna help. That was Laurie Melipar Travesse, director of Caress Magique. Magical Caresses catch the film Sweet Jesus as part of the Annecy official selection. And I'm sure other films will be playing at many, many other festivals in the months to come. And you can catch her on Instagram at Laurie underscore underscore MT. She's also on Vimeo, Vimeo.com slash Laurie MT. Definitely a person to uh, watch if you're not familiar with her work so far. Right. What else has been going on in uh, the intimate animation sphere? Probably post Annecy, we'll have a yeah. lot more to talk about as far as uh, new stuff. One thing that we saw this past week that was kind of unexpected and interesting and, and a little bit different from what we usually talk about here, but kind of on the periphery of it, is uh, the series Inside Number 9, which is a live-action series that we're both very, very fond of. They did their season finale for their seventh season mm -hmm. the other day, and that was it had actually quite a lot of animation in it. I thought there was just going to be little tiny bits, but it was actually a pretty prominent part of the episode. Yeah, it was really interlaced. Yeah. It's a nod to a bunch of different like PSAs from like the 80s and stuff, but most explicitly, I think Charlie says, was the main one. And the premise of the episode, and if people don't know what Inside Number 9 is, it's an anthology series, a British series of usually quite dark comedy slash dramedy uh, self-contained stories uh, by Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton, who were two of the four people that made up The League of Gentlemen, which was one of my favorite shows when I was a kid. And it's, you know, it's a very, it's a, not a very different type of show. It's a more broadly appealing show, I think. It's a very clever and witty show in the, in the sense that, like, I, I think we're both big fans of all of it. Like, even the ones that are not necessarily 100% up our street, I still like them more than most things I see on TV. Mm. But if you have any kind of interest or crossover interest in drama, thriller, comedy, horror... There's probably going to be something within the seven seasons you're going to like, or a couple of episodes. There are ones that are more pointedly like family drama. Yeah. And then there are ones that are like more clearly like horror, historical folklore. Yeah. They also sort of play with different sort of conventions of storytelling in film and theater. So there'll be ones that really sort of draw upon certain, I guess, styles of like comedy over the years. Um, there's like silent comedy episode. There's sort of, what would you call that heist one? Is that like, not panto, but it's very oh, it's kind a, of meta. Um, it's an old, um, Venetian thing. Comedy del. Comedia dell'art, I believe, is it? So it's um, like, it's very drama school. <laughs> and then there are some where they just put on costumes and wigs and silly noses, and that's just pure, like, League of Gentlemen, Psychoville, like, it's, it's, you know. It's it's an interesting mix. I mean, they're they're both you know they have done they have both taken turns as like dramatic actors as well. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, this I think is the first time they've actually had animation be a, a part. I mean, they had in the League of Gentlemen movie, but it's the first time it's been like a narrative construct rather than just like special effects, really. Yeah, which uh, as I was going to say, in the League of Gentlemen movie, there's a Ray Harryhausen pastiche bit that I think McKinnon and Saunders... Well, that was because they have, like, they obviously have a fondness for old-timey looking stuff, so it was... Yeah. They, could, they could have had CG special effects back then, but they A, they probably wouldn't have looked very good, but also on a BBC budget. There is some dodge CG in the League of Gentlemen yeah. movie. 
But it's it's funny with all of this stuff is even if it's not like the most amazing quality, it still works because it's them. And, yeah. you know, it's it often they're very, everything you can enjoy that you're going to kind of enjoy it on separate levels. Like there's like the base level of just enjoying it. And then there's like, if you know your your onions about the particular subject or the things they're sort of tapping into, you're like, oh, I can see that that's an, like a real strong reference to X, Y, whatever. Mm. So I talked to the animator for this new episode uh, last week. There's an interview on the oh, on the website now. And we talked a little bit about how, because he's a massive Inside Number Nine fan, which I was really happy about. I also said this at the end of the interview. <laughs> I was like, I'm really glad that you're like a huge fan because I would have been wicked pissed <laughs> if you'd just been like, oh, it's just a job. <laughs> and I would be like, oh, I'm deleting this interview now because <laughs> because I'm incredibly jealous that he got to do this. The entire time I've been watching this, I'm like, oh my God, if they do an animated one, I hope I get to have some involvement with it. Well, I feel like you, you, you could have been a contender because you've done a bunch of stuff for the BBC and you do stuff like and it's know, very, macabre subjects. And, and the way Sam works is quite similar to me in the sense that it's a lot of After Effects. It's very cutout style. It's quite. It's a lot about like taking out frame rates and making things look stop motion, even though yeah. they're not. Um, I, I know what you mean. That it's, it is a nice thing that it's definitely was, a kindred spirit rather than someone who just took a gig for yeah, the sake of it. He's a hyper-league dork, which I'm yeah. like... Okay, I'm fine with this. I can put. <laughs> I, I I don't want to burn your house down now, so this is fine. But we had a nice chat about that and like about just inside number nine in general. And we sort of, he he sort of brought up the fact that like it's that fact that every episode has rules. Mm-hmm. And we sort of talking about how it's probably quite appealing. Is I mean their shows are great to watch anyway because they're really math classes and writing something really short form. Yeah. Um, and if it was animated, there's a lot of shortcuts you can do of animation to make it shorter so that it's actually achievable, which they, you know, doing live action, they have to set up scenes a lot more uh, linearly and long form. Yeah. But they also, you can buy all of their scripts and so you can sort of see how they break things down. But that kind of rule making that they always, they sort of abide by with each episode. So there's like one that's completely silent and has no, well, it's not silent, but it doesn't have any words. And they, they sort of give themselves these parameters. And I feel like that's very akin to working as an animator where you have to build these rules to work within because otherwise it would be that thing that often it gets sort of talked about in Laurie's thing that we just sort of talked about, like animation, that's this amazing ma- medium that you can do anything in, which sounds amazing, but it's also really daunting yeah. when you start working and you're just like, I could literally do anything. Where do I start? And so you have to build those rules in. And I think animation is a lot about making rules and, and sticking to them and sort of working within parameters so that you don't, especially when you first start out. And um, Sam talks about how that was good for him because it meant that he knew exactly what he they were referencing and what he was building upon and he could work with that yeah. quite creatively. But the reason why it's uh, relevant to this podcast is because the episode is to do with... Um, has some mention of, like, criminal sexual activity. And dealing with trauma. And dealing with trauma that that comes from both a death and also sexual abuse. Yeah. And what's interesting about the animation in this episode is that it's animation is used as a kind of metaphor, a kind of a thematic way of explaining his trauma and his kind of, like, his split mental memory of both his childhood and the traumatic events in it and the and you slowly realize that oh actually they're very much referencing his own childhood and what happened to him when you start to realize what the story subject matter is going to be there is a bit of a concern like okay you got to stick the landing on this and if i'm going to be honest sometimes they don't in this show it's one of these you know things and where they actually you have- had an episode as well in this series that also dealt with that a little bit, but it ended up being a bit of a red herring. Sure. Which, um, yeah, I think as he mentioned in the press release, that's that's the one with the same producer. Yes. Um, who is, uh, no, same director. Oh, right. Who is also, I really like her. I think she's new for this season, but she, those two episodes, I think are the strongest of the lot. Uh, yeah, it was directed by Louise Hooper and the animation director was sam o'leary uh working with blink industries i mean it's just a sort of general show recommend as well you yeah know, it's nice to kind of be able to throw that in 
And like I say, I'm glad animation played as big a role as it did in the episode, because from the way it was sort of set up in the trailer, it could have just been something on in the background, maybe, or just for a few I seconds. I really thought it was going to, like, bookend the episode, because they sort of released some stuff in it, and knowing their back catalogue, I was like, oh, I know exactly what they're referencing. And yeah. so I thought it was going to be more like Shallow Waters and stuff, and it was just going to bookend something tragic that happened to this kid. The other thing to sort of bear in mind is also, as as dark as it gets, it's also very funny in places. Like, there, are, there's a sequence with, like, taxidermy. Yeah, the oh my god. It's really funny. The timing on that was just yeah. phenomenal. And he talks a little bit about that. Well, a couple of... That's on BBC iPlayer for the next little while, I would expect, in the UK. Other TV recommends. I don't think we've talked about human resources since the last episode. I think you it say, came on... The- you say that weirdly. Human resources. Human resources. Human resources. Yeah, I wonder if that's a regional thing. Yeah. However you say it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's on Netflix. If this is the Big Mouth spinoff that is has much more of a focus on the kind of fantasy element. That, that's not supernatural. It's just kind of like basically the sort of how our drives manifest themselves as monsters and creatures mm-hmm. and fantasy um imps and whatnot so you know the hormone monster and monstrous and love worms and things like that it's about i guess love bug love bugs right and um what is it there's love bugs hormone monsters um shame wizards shame wizards some kind of gremlin yeah it's like motivation but it's not that it's like the thing, the drive kind of thing. Um, ambition gremlin. Ambition gremlin, and um, the Easter Island guy is like oh, logic rocks. Logic rocks. So you know, I mean, we we gave that a watch. It's all right. It definitely goes to the same places that Big Mouth does. I, I'm not sure if it adds a ton more. Yeah, it sort of ends, and they sort of go into like sitcommy romantic storylines involving these sort of oh yeah, like, the creatures. Um, like internal office politics, I guess. And, and oh, and there's the indi- addiction fairy. Yeah, um, I mean, there's a lot of like good people in the cast, and mm. it's you know the thing with with the Big Mouth universe, and I think that why it's always felt we talk about it a fair bit on this because it feels well, it's, it would it's be remiss not to. Yeah, but it's also it's very basic because it's got its sort of own success very firmly established it's got this you know it's constantly being renewed for more seasons i expect human resources or human resources (laughs) i think it has um and it already has like a a very firm camp of people who just fundamentally hate it oh really they hate the way it looks which i can i get i i do get that but they also find it to be problematic because it's about young not children but young teenagers and they think that that's not okay and i I, you know it's it's a bit of hand-wringing like you kind of have to go into it i think with an attitude of like if you 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 live through it and remember it and find it relatable but if you don't find it relatable i imagine it's a little bit challenging and, and a bit like a bit not okay, maybe like yeah. But One also- bit that got a lot of flack was a scene in Big Mouth where it's uh, a in bunch a of women in a spa, yeah, yeah. Uh, including some younger girls, young girls around thirteen, With fourteen, literal no sexual qualities at all, no breasts, no nothing. And it's talking about body positivity, loving your body or embracing your body, body positive. It's a very positive message, and I think what happens with a lot of people who have an issue with that is they don't really see the forest for the trees and they the point of the scene is irrelevant because oh it's a little cartoon naked girl i honestly think if they'd moved those clouds like an inch higher and we just didn't see their nipples no one would have a problem despite the fact that there are like obviously episodes where we see jesse's literal vagina but we don't see them attached to her. Yeah, the, the vagina, like, it's a blinking, is in a mirror. Yeah. I thought the issue people were going to have, it would be more from the other side of the camp where they'd, that the other issue I remember they ha- them having was the whole episode where Andrew thinks he might be gay and they try to cover all the different variations of sexuality and people found it problematic because it oversimplified like pansexuality yeah, yeah. and that kind of thing. Well, this is the thing is it's the conversations have, they exponentially branch out and branch out and branch out to the point where you couldn't summarize a wheel of sexuality in a three minute song. No. 
it would be silly to try to. So, you know, I think that that, you know, makes for interesting conversations, but yeah, you can't make a completely comprehensive point succinctly about it. Surely that's the best to show of this level, this like broad appeal, like the broad appealing it's attempting to have can do is open up conversations. And they have to make it somewhat accessible for people who perhaps are not a fay with that kind of subject matter. And maybe it would make them more willing to sort of talk about it if it's coming from the the mouth of ghost dead Freddie Mercury. Yeah, at least it's saying something. They're, you know, they're trying to be progressive. They're trying to do all the right things. But at the end of the day, their main focus is to be funny yeah. and entertain you. At any rate, you know, Human Resources on Netflix, I expect it will be carrying on for a while. Something I remember around the time Big Mouth was renewed for, I think it's third or fourth series, it was around the time that Netflix dropped Tuca and Bertie. And an interesting thing I found is that a lot of the Tuca and Bertie fandom are not fans of Big Mouth. Well, certainly a lot of them Mm. on like Twitter um, were really aghast that a show like Big Mouth would get recommissioned and a show as good as Tuca and Bertie wouldn't. And I mean, I like both of them. I think Tuca. No one watched it. No, well, I couldn't find a single no one, person to talk to that had watched it. No, no one knew about it. No, you know when I talked about it, there was like I searched on on Twitter and I Netflix swear to God, tweeted we were the about only it people once. Talking about it, yeah. Netflix tweeted about Tuka and Buddy once, and it was a cast announcement six months before it aired, and I just never saw any kind of push for it. We knew about it because we followed some of the artists who worked on it. That I think that's that's definitely how I found out about it, or maybe you put me onto it. What Tuka and Buddy is a show? Yeah. Well, I followed Lisa. I Hannah definitely Walt, watched so that would have been how I Yeah, it. I think I definitely because I, I just watch anything that's animated on Netflix for at least an episode. Yeah. And I just liked it. I just I think I just liked. Actually, I didn't initially like it because I found Tuki Tuka a bit grating. Well, it's one of those shows where you, you kind of got to like push through the first episode or two. First couple. Like when Rick they and Morty of- was the same for me. Like I, I tried like three times to get into it until I was, I'm just going to skip to like episode four or five. When it's like sort of got its and feet. then I was like, oh, that that did it. But it's also interesting because I watch everything like multiple times. Like I've watched all of Human Resources about fifteen times now because <laughs> <laughs> really? I just have it on all the time. Oh, um, you have Netflix on in the background a lot. Yeah, yeah. and the same with Tuka and Birdie. And I remember the first time around, I found like Tuka really irritating. And actually, weirdly, the first, the second or third time, I was like, God, Bertie's annoying. Mm. because it, she's just so uncertain of herself. But that's the problem, is I think a lot of people who watch these things, and also, unfortunately, a lot of the people that make decisions on these things don't watch things multiple times. They watch no. them maybe the first episode once half-arsely. Yeah. And I think that's why things like Tuka and Verdi don't get valued, because it's not really the same kind of beast as Big Mouth, because it doesn't have jokes in that same way. It's just... Absurd is funny. It's, it's, it's witty absurdism but what, that also has some thoughtfulness to it. But, but that's, it was presented in a very often shrill way. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the genius of Tuki and Birdie is just the depth they go into and like the the dynamic of because really what it is, other than like sort of it talks about trauma quite a lot and it talks about like what it is to be a woman and what it is to be a, like a daughter and a whatever. It's the interpersonality and the interrelationship between women. And that's really what it shows. So it's a perfect show for right now. Yeah. Uh, when that's meant... I think that's what irritated people between, like, why Big Mouth got picked up and that didn't. It's like, this is literally the show that ticks all the boxes. Like, it's a show written by women, woman, or written by a woman, and directed by a woman, designed by a woman, about women. It checks every tick on the Bechtel test, by, like, four times. Yeah. How could you not renew it? Like, it's literally all of the things. Even if it was just a tick boxing exercise, you'd have all your boxes ticked in one show. At the end of the day, it did get a second season through Adult Swim. Wasn't sure when it would come to the UK because Adult Swim in the UK is sort of odd. It's part of, like, Channel 4 and it's on all four, but they don't really promote it the same way. There isn't as kind of the same kind of push. It just sort of exists late night on, um, I think, E4 and various other Channel 4 sub-channels. Anyway, I did notice that Tuka and Bertie Season 2 finally has started in the UK. It started on Friday, uh, technically Thursday night, uh, at 1.50am um, on the th- 3rd of June. As is the classic form for animation. It has to be up with the people who cannot sleep, who have children who will not sleep, or you're a drug addict. One of these people will be watching Tuka and Bertie at one. 
50 a.m. If you fell outside of those particular categories and are perhaps interested in the continuing antics of Tuga and Birdie, that's where you can find it. You can find it on all four if you're in the UK. Uh, but it's a, it's a good show. It, you know, it, it carries on very much in the same manner as the first season. It's kind of moorish once you get into it. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And I also just love the fact that food plays such a heavy role in it. I love yeah. anything where animated foods, like, what is it that they call it? Is it cronuts? Or is that, oh, no, yeah. that's a real thing. Yeah. Crunts. Crunts. <laughs> Delicious crunts. And like the bird cakes that like, like you press them and they puke. I don't know. It's yeah. like, mmm, delicious <laughs> custard beak, sweet beaks. That's it. Yeah. I mean, we talked to Elisa Hannah-Walt when she was working on BoJack years ago. Perhaps one day we'll speak to her again. But in the meantime, um, yeah, you can check out Tuka and Bertie season two on all four. Season one, I think is still on Netflix. So for what it's worth. Well, that was a very eclectic episode we did. We had some laughs. We had some vaginal discharge. We Ugh. talked about Signy. <laughs> we talked about Laurie. We talked. We didn't talk about Love, Death, and Robots. And we talked about some shows. Eh? Things occurred. Opinions were given, whether you wanted them or not. That's the whole point of podcasts. Everyone has a podcast. Literally everyone. Yeah, literally everyone has a podcast. Well, I think that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you very much Ooh, again. We get to introduce my new cl- closing thing oh yeah we need to finally for series of intimate animation and we need to actually work out a sign off phrase um so we'll say goodbye and then i'll introduce it i'm a bit certainly. nervous about it okay well we'll, we'll 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 you know we'll fly it up the flagpole so to speak uh thank you so much to laurie malapar travis a for talking to us about caress magic and you can catch her film sweet jesus in competition at the annecy animation festival lovely stuff Shall we uh, bid the listening audience a fond adieu? Yes. As you're listening to this podcast, you probably know what Squiggly is if you just popped in because of Laurie or some other uh, bit of SEO. Uh, we're an animation magazine that you can find on Twitter at Squiggly, S-K-W-I-G-L-Y, on Instagram at Squiggly Animation, and on Facebook.com slash Squiggly Magazine, and the website is Squiggly.com. We do all sorts of animation coverage from news and interviews, podcasts like this one, video stuff all sorts of crap check us out follow us on all the social medias because we're desperate for validation i've been ben mitchell and i've been laura beth cowley until next time happy intimate animating and remember you only need one hand to animate there it is we'll see how that goes down if that will be a little bit sick (laughs) 